Hello everyone, welcome once again to that BritRest TV show. I'm Andrew Ogden and joining us for the final episode of UWA Wrestling Rampage is our very own beef bomb himself, <laughs> Kieran Lafort. Hello Kieran, how are you doing? Hello Andrew, how do I change my name here on, uh, on StreamYard? It's a beef bomb. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there we uh, go. Oh, it's finally over. We've been talking about this because we do like two at a time. We've been talking about this for the guts of a year. We have, yeah. We've the... talked about this longer than it was on air. <laughs> right. So it, I just I just want to get out there like how we how we actually come to um decide on reviewing UWA Wrestling Rampage. Now, me and Jeff went out on the piss in Todmorden on a, on a warm Saturday afternoon. This is how all the best ideas in British wrestling podcasting come about. Andy it, and Jeff go and have a pint. It is, it is. Um, and you know what? I thought, I'll message Kieran. I fancy doing a podcast with Kieran again. <laughs> so the first idea I threw out there was, do you want to do the first ever AEW pay-per-view, uh, which was, um, what was it called? All in, all out? Uh, the the first one, well, the pre- oh, the, the ROH one. Pay-per-view. Yeah. The ROH yeah, AEW yeah. before it was yeah. AEW. And Kieran politely said, no. <laughs> uh, so I thought, what what be, what be a good idea? And I, I think it was Kieran who actually said this, you know, we have done a lot of like British TV stuff. Why don't we um, go through go through the ages and uh, mm. uh, 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 ones that are, you know, not less troublesome? So we, obviously we did Transatlantic Wrestling Challenge, and mm. then we thought UWA Wrestling Rampage because uh, <laughs> we're say say <laughs> say this out. I think the reason I turned down All In was like it's too recent. I think and. There are there's a whole section you can't, I don't especially want to talk about because of the people that are involved in it. Yeah, and this section of uh, British wrestling TV, this 1999 2000, like I've not heard people review it before. The only review I could find of UWA Wrestling Rampage online was Ian Hamilton's written reviews from a few years ago. Yeah, um, and like it was safer in terms of the people who appeared on screen although i have since found out that somebody from transatlantic wrestling challenge did get locked up for sex offenses well (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah no we've we've reached episode 21 of um Mm. this um dumpster fire (laughs) as, as you keep calling it kieran so shall we shall we get into it we start off we fill the fly powers. I thought, is he a big fan of the U two hit the fly? He may well be. Why? He's either the flyer, the fly. He's flying. He's supposed to be flying Phil Powers, but he keeps calling himself the fly, and commentate commentary keep calling him the flyer. So it's all a bit of a mess. He um. So we have a shouty opener from uh, Phil outside the venue, the um what's it, the bar the barking fucking auditorium. Vengeance uh, will be mine. <laughs> I have, because it was such a big hit uh, a couple of episodes ago, I have in fact transcribed all the Phil Powers promos that air on this episode. Um firstly, he is out as you say, he's outside the Broadway Theatre in Barking where this was taped, where there is no advertising for the wrestling, but there is a massive banner for an indoor fair and a bloke working on the stairs right behind him. Just change the camera angle. (laughs) I'm not going to do it in Phil Power's voice because it's too loud and it's too Essex. Uh, But he says, vengeance will be... Excuse me. He says, vengeance will be mine. Paul Sloan, tonight is the place, right, uh, where the fly Phil Powers is going to finally get his hands on you. Sharp intake of breath that nearly blows out the microphone. And let me tell you something, pal. You're going to receive the biggest apprenticeship of your life, courtesy of the fly Phil Powers. And then I think he said something else, but they immediately cut away to the opening titles to get rid of him. He is, as usual, momentarily distracted by something behind the camera. I've noticed that's the thing of every Phil Powers, like 
pre-tape promo, there are always moments where his eyes are flicking to somebody behind or something going on behind the camera. Like he can't just look at the lens for, for 60 seconds. It's like me if a horse race is on while we're uh, podcasting. It's like, oh, uh, shit. I mean, I don't hey. know if I've mentioned it on air, but yeah, I have noticed that before. <laughs> I'll go off into a rant and you'll just, you know, try and work out how, how the 8 p.m. at Chepstow's getting on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have Dan Belinka running down what we have on this show. I did put it must cost live TV more to show Dan's face because all we have is like the, boy, the boys <laughs> from the gods, you know, yeah. like Wizard of Oz. Yeah, all of the uh, barking stuff. He's just been a disembodied voice, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, um, we we get another shot of Phil Powers again. He just goes, rah, vengeance will be mine. Yeah, that's from his promo last week where he screamed into the lens and steamed it up. It was. I did put, yes, we know, Phil. Vengeance will be up. <laughs> Sorry, what do you think uh, Phil Powers is looking for this week? I'm not sure. It hasn't quite sunk in. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so... I did put Dan Belinka. They showed a picture of um, Ian Harrison. He's called, he's calling him smiling Ian Harrison. I think that was to cover for the previous commentary, not knowing his name and just calling him the smiler and smiley. Yeah. Uh, we are threatened with Too Far Gone versus Big Papa T and Jodie Flash versus Mad Dog McPhee and Johnny Storm, Phil Powers versus Paul Sloan, and a special challenge from Danny Royal. There was something else that made me laugh in the opening, actually. So we get this big recap of Linsky getting hoofed out of the company, uh, Jody beating Paul Terrell, and Too Far Gone beating Death Squad for the belts. Dan Belinka then calls Iron Duke Lynch's bike his custom scooter, which probably made Lynch throw his remote through the telly. <laughs> fucking Belinka. <laughs> Not a fucking scooter, it's a bike. <laughs> Oh, my word. So, here we go. Match number one on the final mm. episode. Three teams, two belts, one winner. <laughs> Jody Flash and Papa T versus Too Far Gone, the champions, versus Johnny Storm and Mad Dog McPhee. Your commentators, Steve Morgan and Simon Bridlington. McPhee and Storm have no music. What's this? Johnny Storm has actually found Jump Around by House of Pain. Good that tune. was what he was using before. I think, right, so commentary try to play it off like, oh, this is something to do with Linsky's departure, you know, he must yeah. have been negotiating the music rights, all that shit. I think it's more likely the bloke couldn't find the CD quick enough and they were just told, get out there. Um, you can tell Johnny can't be fucked anymore because he's wearing the bottom half of his white gear with the top half of his black gear, resulting in some epic VPL around the back uh and yeah jump around kicks in he runs over and he does the worm along the edge of the stage exposing that up there is just a bunch of crap and production equipment <laughs> um for what it's worth at this point in time too cool were still too much so scotty too hotty hasn't done the worm in the wwf yet bloody hell johnny storm invented the worm he's ahead of his time when it comes to doing the worm in wrestling um we have the referee hans molman Yes. We also had, if you look closely, Mark Sloan in his Sandman Stars and Stripes Zubaz behind the railing, trying to usher children back to their seats during Big Papa T's entrance until the fun police Paul Martin has to yell at them over the microphone to go and sit back down. Some of the kids are a bit taller than Mark Sloan as well. They would. Yeah. And if um, you think we now, some of those kids will be like 37, 38. <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, well, watch, watching UWA at that time will have aged and more than looking John Tenter back in the nineties. <laughs> Their formative, formative ideas of wrestling are Big Papa T and Kerry Cabrera <laughs> and Tom Munro. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get threatened with in this match a showdown between Mad Dog McPhee and Big Papa T. This... I was fearing the worst, Kieran. I, I'm not. I'm not surprised. So we've got one referee, six wrestlers, and four people on the outside because Papa T comes out with Rebecca, and then Too Far Gone come out with Ian Harrison, who has on each arm a tiny girl. And by on each arm, I don't mean arm in arm. I mean he literally has one woman on each of his arms. <laughs> um, we love Papa T, don't we, Steve? 
Well, says Steve, what is love? I think Howard Jones sang that. Or Hadaway. Is that the way? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it really says something that they didn't want to book the death squad for barking, but the two girls who are literally useless got a payday. <laughs> oh, my. Um, one thing I didn't notice here, Kieran, was that fucking hell it took a long time to lock up here. Yes, right. I timed it. The bell rings at 6 minutes 37 into the show. And there is no physical contact until nine minutes into this 45-minute program. Fucking hell. <laughs> you, you think, it, you, you know, like three and a half minutes there, it's like, like the, the stare down Rock and Hogan had at WrestleMania 18, except there the weren't the noise or... The I mean, any noise on this show, the sound mix was absolutely appalling. Like if you listen very carefully during the main event, you can hear the crowd have been mic'd so loud that they're that they're peaking and distorting, but they've yeah. had to turn it down in the mix for TV and then lay the commentary over the top. Like you you can't hear. I mean, it's consistently been a problem with this show. You cannot hear if anything is successful or getting over, which I I think might have worked to the advantage of some of the acts <laughs> that we've seen, but no, no, you can't hear any crowd reactions at all. Um, so you have Terrell and Flash opening the match. Um, it, it's generally Flash getting his ass handed to him up until um, Johnny Storm comes in. And you know what? The two minutes them two were in, fucking yep. best two minutes. I, I, I called it possibly the best, fastest paced, most contemporary action of the entire series. And it ends when uh, Jody is by one set of ropes, Johnny runs to the other, and as he comes back, Jody hits him perfectly in the middle of the ring with a springboard moonsault. Oh, it's beautiful. It might even be the best move of the entire series. The best commentary move of the entire series is when Steve Linsky joins Simon Bridlington. Oh, fucking hell. Well, he can't. <laughs> because Morgan, the same he can't, no. Yeah. Well, uh, and Steve, all that. So that's when they come out of the yeah. break. When they go into the break, Morgan yeah. says, "Well, this contest is going to get worse." You're not fucking wrong, mate. <laughs> when uh, Steve Lindsay comes on a commentary after the break, he does say, "Move over, move them lad sandwiches out of the way," which has yeah. been. Uh, You're not going to do it in the American accent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, in, it's, that... inter it's interesting, though, how we. You, you, you're half expecting him to, you know, go back into just his normal accent. Mm. His American accent's fucking terrible. <laughs> he did at least manage to keep it up for the whole time that character was in the booth. Um, I think they kind of did this to distract what was going on in the ring. Distract from what was going on in the ring. I watched it back again. Without with the sound off, so I could write down the fucking mess that was happening underneath this commentary. Mm. So, Storm and Jody tag out to their respective lummoxes. Uh, in fact, Storm and Mad Dog don't actually make physical contact, they just wave hands in the general area. Papa T struggles to get between the ropes to get into the ring. Him trying to get his leg over the middle rope is like watching a cat fire. <laughs> By a fucking vacuum cleaner. It's just, he's all over the place. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things on the show. Um, so uh, he makes it in. Uh, dog shit uh, grabs Jody, but he's told to lay off by the ref. And then each of the small guys grab their respective lummox and has a word over the ropes. Cut to the tiny girls. Johnny slaps Mad Dog on the back and goes to join the Too Far Gone corner, possibly to go and tell them what the finish is, uh, where Mad Dog backs up and then limply elbows Morocco off the apron. Cut to the tiny girls. McPhee charges at T, who Jody shoves into him. They both bump and roll out, and then Jody and Johnny do the Logan Paul ricochet simultaneous springboard spot, yeah. but worse, completely missing each other and just crash into the mat. And then as... Harrison, Mad Dog, and Morocco all beat up Big Papa T on the floor. Terrell runs in, drags Jody and Johnny together, and hits the pair of them with a top rope splash for the pin. Only Jody is both not legal and face down. So the maybe legal Johnny Storm gets pinned by the definitely not legal Paul Terrell with Jody just getting in the way, and then Johnny kicks out at 3.1. <laughs> 
fucking horrendous. Oh, and apart from their simultaneous bump, Dogshit McPhee and Papa T did nothing in this match. They didn't. They just stared at each other like yeah. two jilted lovers. Out during the ad break, either. No. Hey, I was this, like, oh. I was waiting for the big collision, though. <laughs> well, I don't think we've had one during this, have we? Um, we might have had one, but mm. oh, it's just this was this was an appalling match with like maybe the best forty-five seconds of action of the entire run sandwiched somewhere in the middle, and then to rub it in, we get a massive long replay of the entire terrible finishing sequence. <laughs> Fifteen minutes in, I had to go and have a lie down. <laughs> You've been watching some light buddy DDT before this, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've watched half of uh, Wrestle Peter Pan. Uh, there was an absolutely dreadful match on that show as well. Is that the one with Andre's a giant panda? No, I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> Andre's a giant panda is brilliant. In it, um, him and um, some Dango machine versus yeah, Super, um... Super Sasa Dango machine. Yes, who uh, always has a PowerPoint presentation before his big matches. All right. Giving away, giving away the finisher. Hmm? Giving away the finisher. <laughs> uh, he kind of did in this, actually. He talked about how big uh, Andreza was um, and that uh, he needs to eat a lot to maintain his energy. And he was worried that perhaps uh, Andreza might eat him to gain the energy to win the match. And then uh, Andreza collapsed. Uh, Sasadango Machine sacrificed himself by crawling underneath Andreza. The lights went out. There were some munching noises. And when we came back, Super Sasadango Machine was nowhere to be seen. And there was just his mask laying on the mat. And Andreza was back to full power. <laughs> it's better than Raw. Uh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> absolute, absolute cinema there. Um, <laughs> so let's get on to. The story of Phil Powers and Paul Sloan uh, promo, where you have um, Phil Powers shouting from a very blue promo bog. <laughs> I think Phil Powers is the poochie of this show. Yeah, I think he's the only person, other than the over, other than the people who appear in the opening titles, he is the only person to have had FaceTime on every single episode. Um. Mm. So yeah, he's in the nuclear bunker dressing room with the with the white balance on the wonk. Uh, again, he gets distracted by something we can't see, and again they don't cut before he breaks character. And again, we have a transcript. <clears throat> I'm not. I I thought about <laughs> doing this in the screamy voice uh, with uh, you know not taking any breath between any sentences, but instead, I think a more refined approach. Yeah. Well, well, well. Paul Sloan, it's it's showtime. I fucked up already. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to get my hands around your throat, and I'm going to smash, and I'm going to break your nose. It doesn't matter how it's done, because the fly Phil Powers is going to serve you your apprenticeship like I should have done months ago. And let me tell you something, Paul Sloan. I'm going to punch you in that nose, and there's going to be blood splatting all down your face. And it ain't going to be pretty, Paul Sloan. I am going to destroy you. And then we get the rebuttal from uh, the human egg as you like to call him. Yes. Um, very clearly, in the same corner of the same dressing room, no charisma, nothing behind the eyes, just an uncharismatic man trying to act angry. And to show us he's angry, he picks up and he throws a chair. Ooh. Yep. And then throughout the promo, he looks like he's trying not to smile. Send for the man. So, <clears throat> do you want what he actually says first, or do you want what Premiere Pro's built-in AI transcription software came up with when I transcribed this promo. <laughs> the latter, please. Okay. So this is unaltered. This is what Premiere Pro gave me. Bear in mind, this man has a thick Essex accent. That's all I'll say. And he's shouting very loudly on poor quality video. Phil Powers, that is. I'm going to put you on the approach. I'll move your foot. I'm going to beat your skin off. Look, why do you have to copy your age? You won't be screaming. No. I'm going to beat you to a bloody mess. And what he actually said was, Phil Powers, that is it. I've had enough of you. I'm not your protege. I'm not your boy. I'm going to beat your skinny little ass to the ground. You won't be clapping your hands. You won't be screaming. All I'm going to do is beat you to a bloody mess. Frankly, I prefer the first one. 
We can say that our jobs are safe and robots aren't taking over quite yet. <laughs> they keep trying to take over mine. I'm fighting them till the end. Um, what I could say from these promos is Phil Powers has a nose fetish and um, Sloan loves uh, Phil Powers' skinny little ass. There we go. They're made to be together. I don't understand why they hate each other so much. Storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah. Uh, I've never heard of anyone with a sexy nose. <laughs> I can't think of any sexy noses off the top of my head. Anyway, um, we go back to the ringside area now. From Barking. Yay! Yeah. For the heel, they for cheer the... for the heel. <laughs> Just yeah, all, all somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. What town does Barking hate? Chigwell. Romford. I don't know. Yeah, Chigwell. Sure, anything like that. Yeah, but they've done weeks of TV where they say they're from the same place. Paul Sloan in his 1999 British Bulldog outfit. You know what? You know what? Black jeans with white plimsolls. <laughs> well, so he was in. in uh, he was in um, blue jeans with uh, with his high tech magnums on. I'm trying. And to then uh, Powers is out in his black jeans. Um, yeah, Powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Powers has also apparently raided the kitchen as he drops a roasting pan and a frying pan as he enters the ring, and then needs to scrabble around picking them up before he can bonk Sloan on the head with them. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Have you ever tried that? You know, it's in yourself with a. A baking well, tray. I used to buy the weapons for the FA. Well, you did. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. No, you're right. I would have had a. I would have had a, a test bash with a with a with a baking tray to see if it made a good noise. You don't want the ones to go clonk. You want the ones that go clang. You do, yeah. I think yeah. I, I think the the cheaper end that are in my cupboard, they probably work well. But Poundland, uh, like the thinnest pieces of shit, are what you want. They don't hurt as much, and they make a good noise. Yeah. What you don't want is a roasting tray. Like a proper so, old old school nineteen nineties Rolston train. I will not mention the names, but uh when I worked for RQW, we did a street fight match. And yeah. we went along to this venue and we got a load of like cheap weapons that would wouldn't hurt very much and would just go clang. And one of the people in this match went, No, they don't look like they hurt. And so I went off and raided the kitchen of the venue and brought back the heaviest like industrial baking tray you've ever seen. Must have been made of steel, about the size of a cupboard door, and started belting people over the head with that. I, he's not a smart man. That's all I'll say. Too too many, too many. It's with the fucking uh, the roasting yeah. roasting tray. Anyway, yeah. the jeans are out. Yep. Uh, yeah, tip, an unadvertised hardcore match. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of. Uh, what what's it? Steve Morgan says here. Why are they wearing denim? I I did like his line after that was I didn't realise it was supposed to be casual. <laughs> um, I right. So Bridlington doesn't know if this match is supposed to be sanctioned to be an anything goes match. Much like a few weeks ago when Doug faced Johnny Storm, he wasn't sure if the belt was on the line or not. I could have kicked a puppy, right? This match is airing three weeks after it was taped. Three weeks is plenty of time, even just in like Danny Crime Watch voiceover or little notes on commentary that Powers hates Sloan so much for what he did. He's pleaded with the disinterested Mick McManus and the fucking Krill Crypt Keeper Mal Mason for it to be a hardcore match. Like you can build it up, right? Like you can say it's going to be violent, it's going to be wild fans, or you're not going to want to miss this. In fact, Powers, on this travesty of a television program, he's here every fucking week, very often in segments taped after the fact. So he could have told us it was going to be a hardcore match. Instead, it's two gormless cunts who've taken their shirts off fighting in jeans, while the one commentator who understands wrestling doesn't know if what he's supposed to be describing to the audience is sanctioned or not. The ref not disqualifying them for hitting each other with the contents of a kitchen cupboard ought to be a big fucking clue. This whole company, this was the point I decided, this whole company is just Poundland WCW. Like, they can't even find their ducks, let alone get them in a row. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. 
Um, some actual um, wrestling during this match where Phil Powers oh, tries to surfboard port that Paul saw. Well, not quite as he realizes it ain't working. I mean, he tries he tries several times and cannot rotate Sloan around his knees to get him up. So he just gives up and stamps on his back instead. Um, in the background, Mark Sloan is again escorting children back to their seats. So Sloan gets his nose bloodied, which led me to one of three conclusions. Either the Powers promo was taped after the match because it had happened and he was like, oh, I can, yeah. Um, or they knew in advance and he just let Powers smack him in the nose. Or they just got lucky that it lined up with what he'd said in his promo earlier on. <laughs> I'm leaning towards the first one of those. Mm. Hey, boy, he but he, he was right. He was going to go for his nose. But it is a big nose, so how can you miss? Target, yes, as uh, as uh, Stevie Knight clued us in on several weeks ago. Steve Morgan. Yes. Decides it's time to be homophobic. So we'll gloss over that. I would also like to gloss over what I can only call Sloan hitting a stinker splash. Uh, followed by an I don't really know how to do this knee drop. He also then shows us that he can't body slam, can't elbow drop, can't do a work stomp, can't run the ropes, can't do a corner clothesline, and can't chop. Can't drink, can't smoke. What are you going to do? Oh, my God. Um, fucking Sloan has powers cradled. Mm -hmm. Tiger oh. McGuigan Jr. He's still thinking about what he's having for tea. The, yeah. The... the, the the slowness in this count. Oh, so ridiculous. Yeah. So Powers hits what I called a broadly competent power bomb and he flips yeah. over into a jackknife bridge, but he only gets a one count before. I don't think, like, I don't think Sloan even got out on purpose. He's just like sort of popped out and ended up in that sort of after a Hurricane Rana type cradle. And yeah, like Tiger McGuigan doesn't recognize this as a pin and gets up and then has to get back down again to, to make the pin, to make the count. Um, Sloan was very justified in shoving him immediately after this. I will point out here, though, uh, though Paul Sloan couldn't do a fucking uh, wrist lock or anything, mm. he could pull off one great manoeuvre, which was the ultimate warrior press slam. <laughs> he fucking oit. Oit powers up here. Yeah, yeah, I suppose he did. Um, one of my big problems with this match was there are no transitions. Like one guy is doing a move and then the other one is suddenly back on back on top and it will just be from punching him or kicking him or grabbing him. Like the bits where they're trying to figure out who's going to do a fucking vertical suplex are agony. Like one guy will hook it. So it's like, I don't know, let's say Sloan's on top and he's just hit a couple of big moves and he grabs for a vertical suplex and yeah. with, without a knee in the nuts or a punch in the gut or anything, it'll be powers that gets it instead. It, it was infuriating. What else was infuriating was the cameraman also going for their tea. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> whilst Phil Powers is going up for the uh, the finishing manoeuvre, the um, oh. the leg drop from the top, it's ca the camera is focused solely on uh, Paul Sloan in the middle of the ring, and all you see. It's just this leg missing Sloan's head. You just don't see Phil <laughs> Powers. And all I could think was Kieran chucking his TV out the window. It's an expensive TV. I'm not doing that. <laughs> out of four possible camera angles that were on display in this match, the director picked the one that showed Powers completely missing the top rope leg drop, but getting the re getting the pin anyway, and then they replayed it. Yeah. I, I previously called this show a disaster in every segment. I, I'm going to stand by that to the bitter end. Oh, and then, and then, Phil Powers, so Sloan rolls out the ring, he's been beaten. Phil Powers cannot be bothered to sell the brutality of the unadvertised first ever hardcore match and mm. just does a backflip in the middle of the ring. I know, but my fi final, my, my final word, Kieran, on this match was twat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, I, this was wretched. I have no joke. I've honestly seen better backyard matches than this. 
Phil Powers is a rotten worker who doesn't understand. He doesn't understand his own out of date character. Um, he doesn't understand how to sell anything. Paul Sloan is a fucking lost cause. He's clueless, gormless, hairless on TV at least a year before he's ready. Like you do teacher versus student once the student is competent, not while they're still in fucking year seven. Like at least let him get through his wrestling GCSEs or whatever. <laughs> it, it, I think I think Kieran he become the most unlikable character going on this TV show from the promos, just from his general demeanor. Oh, he's got a lot of competition though. Like there are so many unlikable characters on this TV show, and it's because it's like it's the 1999 wrestling problem. What are in are cool heels who are cheered and baby faces with an edge. Mm. But these people aren't good enough at any of this to figure out. It's a perennial problem with British wrestling is British wrestlers are generally better, much, much better at the wrestling than the character part. Mm. Particularly in 1999, where none of these people have any previous TV experience. But the, the, the person with TV experience on these shows is Drew McDonald, and that was on World of Sport that was cancelled 11 years before this went on air. Yeah. But then, then again, now, Kieran, if, if someone shows a bit of character online or what have you, they're just like dis dismissed as, oh, fucking hell, not another mean wrestler. Well, it didn't, that comes to who you're, who you're talking about and what they're doing. Yeah. There's they're showing they're showing character and there is being a character. Mm. I think. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's uh, also there's... authentic characters, which are, you know, the yourself turned up to eleven like pro wrestling character. And then there are inauthentic characters, which is something you've come up with that doesn't suit you, but you're gonna try anyway. For example, Jungle Boy. Who's, yeah. who's, who's basically so, playing baddie. So I think that Jack Perry the heel can work if it turns out he's so young and naive to the business, the only person he really knows is a heel, and the heel that's made the impression on him was Christian Cage. Mm, because yeah. if you look at him, he's essentially doing like Christian Cage Jr. And if it kind of comes out, it's like, you know, like that's – what his influence is and he doesn't know any better and he thinks that's this is what you know like a hard nasty heel is i think it can work however i think it's more likely that he's just not good at it mm, exactly shall we go into our final segment of this uh, this show now which is a it's a danny royal promo package titled luckless loser <laughs> uh, so it's it's just running through Danny Royal's time in um, UWA where mm. he's been due to win a match but he just can't get the win mm. but somehow he has a special challenge you talk about unlikable characters yes. the story of the babyface getting screwed at every turn is like has been told over and over again in pro wrestling and it can work really really well but the problem is, because we're in the era of the edgy babyface, what Royal thinks an edgy babyface is, is moaning about his treatment like a heel. And that mm. makes him unlikable. Like, yeah. I, I, like, like Steve Morgan, the heel commentator, shouldn't be right when he says, like, Danny Royal keeps whinging and moaning about how he's losing. Um, This would also have worked a lot better if Doug Williams hadn't been mostly a baby face for this whole run. Like if he was still like one of like Linsky's mob, once you got to this point, because I mean, okay. So Danny Royal comes out, he has a moan. He thanks the fans. He says, let's hear it for the UWA. And there is a very clumsily dubbed in cheer over a crowd shot, which I imagine those two things did not happen at the same time. Kill it with fire. Mal Mason shows up. Uh, <laughs> <Grant> Royal, <laughs> he's like, Oh, the only comparison, what he looks like to me is 
something from a movie you won't have seen. But I'm going to say anyway, there's, there's a, a, a classic Hong Kong movie called A Chinese Ghost Story. Right. And in part of that, dwelling in the basement of this house are some like stop motion zombies. Mal Mason <laughs> looks exactly like those zombies. <laughs> Although, thankfully, we are spared any close-ups in, in this segment. Um, so he is he's in his referee gear. He is the highest authority of the you, you know, the Ultimate Wrestling Alliance. Uh, and he grants Royal an immediate match for Doug Williams' UWA title, and he's going to referee it as well. I did notice that Doug um, is the American Wrestling Federation World Tag Team Champion again. Ah, yeah, he is. Yeah. He comes out with, yeah, yeah. What, what, one thing we do find out during this, uh, this match, Kieran, is the UWA hotline is supposed to be relaunching. Mm. We are told this is the last episode. We are told this is the last episode 10 minutes before the end of it. Yeah, they kept that quiet, didn't they? They did, yeah. It, <laughs> live TV executive must have come in, you know, like um, Cyrus on ECWs. Like, <laughs> TNN says you've cancelled, lads. Hand a note to, si to Simon Bridlington or whatever. Um, well, that man wouldn't have had his job for very long because live TV goes off the air for good six weeks after this aired. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he would have been dead anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, as I, go Sorry. On. Go on. All right. Well, as I mentioned, Doug Williams is suddenly a heel. Um, and he, he shows this by starting by head, he headbutts uh, Royal while Mason's back is turned, pokes him in the eye and breaks his face along the top rope just so we, we get the idea. Um, Royal, he kind of makes a comeback with forearms and whatnot. He locks in a half crab and an STF. And when, when he tries a front face lock, When he, I think Kieran's gone there. Am I still here? Oh, you're there. Yeah, you said he no. put in the front face lock, and it just, it just stung you. Yeah. That, that oh, uh, Danny Royal was actually doing some wrestling moves there. Yeah, I got front face lock by BT Internet. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Virgin Media Doug Williams whips him over into this really nice Northern Light suplex. Uh, that's what I was praising when I cut out. Yes. <laughs> we get the line, Mal Mason has been a referee for countless years. And I'm like, yep, since at least the 1800s. <laughs> Morgan pops himself and me with the line, I asked him if it was cold underground this morning and then asked him to give my love to Roy Orbison when he goes back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my word. There was a great a great move from Doug in this. Wasn't he like an Arabian press or something? Yeah. Yeah, he did that. Uh, and then he gets clotheslined. And then Royal hoiks him up into a gut wrench powerbomb and just fucking dropped him. He landed on his shoulder and the side of his head. I'd have been so pissed off. And then he goes to the cover, the cheeky bastard. <laughs> the, the thing we can take from this match before we get to the, the, the finish, obviously, is uh, Danny Royal's shit at dropping people. I mean, that plays into the finish, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Or the... Oh, God. Uh, so what they do, they're doing that break. Uh, Doug does a really good bump where he goes for a top rope flying axe handle uh, and gets the old uh, Bret Hart punch in the gut off, off Royal as he lands and does a flip and makes it all the way to the opposite corner. Covers the entire ring. It was really good. Uh Royal gets him up on his shoulders, but manages to clobber the Crypt Keeper in the face uh, with the anarchist's feet. Despite seeing uh, the referee is down, Danny Einstein hits a terrible version of his finisher and makes the cover. It was rough, wasn't it? The beef bomb. Fucking dog shit. Yeah. Uh, so he gets the visual pin. Uh, and then our valiant baby face gets up and goes to yell at the old man he's just knocked over. And he at least once kicks him right in the ass. <laughs> Um, it's not exactly do you want do you want some help across the road old sir yeah like you're a baby face like you go over and you make sure he's okay you don't push him and try and drag him up um williams gets his uh, tag team title belt uh, and waits for about five minutes for royal to turn around so he can whack him in the face with it yeah uh mal recovers to count a close near fall doug gets a second one off a german suplex but when he goes to complain to the ref royal hits his second terrible beef bomb 
uh, for his own two count. And then finally the finish, uh, Doug slams Royal and goes for a lion salt, but Mensa's finest rolls away instead of towards, so still gets hit in the ribs with both of Doug's shins, but ignores it and finally hits a good beef bomb and stacks him up in a pin for the three count. When it mattered, he got it right. <laughs> it only took him 10 attempts. Oh, if, if you can't do your own finisher, don't do it. I think we talked about it before. Like when he does his, um, it's his gut wrench power bomb, isn't it? Like when he does that mm. right, it looks really good. Yeah. It arguably looks better than the move he's using as a finish. Just use that. Uh, so, and then we get long replays of everything from the ref bump on. Was there are yeah. a lot of long replays on this show? To, to well to pad it out as best as they can. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Danny Royal, our final champion. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, he suddenly, in the last episode, he suddenly becomes, like, the hero of the movie, if you like. It's almost like they've been threading this story. through. They try and play out like they've been threading this story through the whole season. But he's never really been the feature. And then all of a sudden, like, he's the main character of the show, and he defeats uh, the baddie who was previously, who last week was a babyface, mm. and wins the title. Like, it felt, felt very unearned. Um, I call this merely poor as opposed to horrendous. Like, what they were doing was okay. It was just sort of a bit lifeless. But this was each man's third match on this show. So they wrestled each other for episode 18, and then on 19, Royal had the Stevie Knight match. Mm. 20, Doug did the Linsky gauntlet, and now they're back for their second match of, against each other of the same taping. So it's, and then it's been, understandable if they're a bit tired. It's a bit like yeah. in the ring, in it? Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have a match card. We don't know how long there was between those two matches. Oh, also, something uh, is, is alluded to earlier on that I went to get to. Ian Harrison had a match. Yeah. Um, so commentary uh, during the tag match alludes to him losing to Drew McDonald, which must have been on the missing episode 18. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm quite glad know, that that would have been a good match. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! T- it, it, no, but you can think like two big fuckers. But bloody hell, if they didn't, if they didn't show it on any of the episodes, or I think unless it was on that episode eighteen. Yeah, I think it's on episode eighteen. Like, I, well, I would say it's, it would be very unlikely to refer to something that didn't actually happen. But no, I'd be lying. Uh, and then we bid farewell to the Ultimate Wrestling Alliance with a music video set to Saviour by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the editor runs out of good footage quickly, so several moves get repeated. <laughs> it was just showing the holiday again in Blackpool, weren't it? And uh... Yeah, there was some of that. There was a particular pile driver by Kerry Cabrero, I think, that got shown like twice from the same angle. There were several like Jodie Fleisch flips that got shown over and over again from different angles and then from the same angle. Like it's it's not even a dynamic song. It's very weird. They should have used fucking leave the memories alone. <laughs> if only that song had existed. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know, fucking never forget by Tate. That would have been a good song, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Come a long way. <laughs> You're saying that, but I can see it in my head. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> big Papa T doing his fucking bushwhacker dance to Gary Barlow in the background. <laughs> oh my big god! Papa T, Daniel Garcia's dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, so episode twenty-one finally done. Mm. Um, what can what? I'll, I'll put my teeth in. What conclu- yeah. conclusion? There you go. Um, yeah. Have we have we come to on this uh, on this journey through life? Well, I was honestly trying to think if this was better or worse than Transatlantic Wrestling Challenge. On one hand, TWC at least packed all its misery and incompetence into six episodes, <laughs> <laughs> and but on the other, 
Rampage had maybe half a dozen competent matches, whereas TWC, I think, had one or two. Mm. TWC had Kung Poo Kid. UWA has Big Papa T. Anton Munro. And the Viking. And Paul Sloan. And Paul Sloan. And Wera. And Frank. And the Unknown Soldier. Like, <laughs> and Bill Powers. Fuck. Big Papa T, I think, deserves special mention. Like, possibly the most bizarre wrestler I've ever seen. Yeah. Who managed to have at least three of the worst televised wrestling matches of all time within the space of six months. That Tom Munro match in particular, fucking human rights violation, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised to find out that gets played on a loop in Guantanamo Bay. Awful. I've been thinking about it. That is worse than the Frank and Unknown Soldier match he has. That is the minus six star match. Um, It's an... So I did the sort of like Days of Thunder style winners and losers. Yeah. Everyone involved in this show is a loser. Every single one of them. However, the following deserve a positive mention, but they are in no way winners. Yeah. Tiger see, Mask, if they, see, see, see if I agree anyway. Okay. Tiger Mask, Grand Naniwa, and Christopher Daniels, all for signing up for just one date and then getting the fuck out of town and largely having good matches. Like the quality, mm. in-ring quality, definitely took a nosedive after the Crystal Palace show. Weren't it that, uh, what were we called? Jason Cross or something like that? Was it that? Was that his name? Uh, yeah, it was Jason Cross. He was Cabrero. Yeah. Yeah, but it was their yeah. matches with Tiger Mask yeah. and Nanoa that were good. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, Chris Daniels versus Doug Williams early on was quite good as well. And, like, Daniels' contribution to the gauntlet was good. He dragged the only good match out of um, uh, the guy who just won the title, his name, I can't remember, Danny Royal. Danny Royal, yeah. Like, got two stars out of him, whatever. Um, Drew McDonald for injecting some life and charisma into the show. Yeah. And for easily being the best, best promo of the entire run. Justin Starr for being the best of the jobbers. Mm, yeah. It is a crime that shit ass is like Blondie Barrett, Wera, Frank, and Tom fucking Munro who got featured spots while he was the guy taking falls in tag matches where he was better than his partner. That Blondie Barrett match that I give minus five stars yeah. to. <laughs> fucking hell. That was early that was early doors, that one yeah, kid. Like 17 it? minutes as well, wasn't it? Went on forever. Oh um, word. I word. Dan Belinka for being a good show host. Yeah. However, not for being the director or producer. (laughs) And finally, of course, Stevie Knight for finding himself like halfway through the run and instantly becoming the most interesting and entertaining character on the show and for wrestling like it was 1999, not 1989. Um. Yeah, what do you reckon? I've I've been I've done it again. I've used this as a therapy session and just babbled on. Like, have you got anything more to add to that? Was anybody um, better or worse than I've I've said there? I think I think when we um when we started this project and like I told I told people like you know we're doing this UWA wrestling rampage. I think Chris Wilson said, "Oh, I remember watching that and what have you." But watch out for Big Papa T and uh, LF do. I'm out of the woodwork on Twitter. Like I've gone. Oh yeah, I was at that taping. Yeah. Well, tell us more. Give us the inside story. <laughs> yeah. There was, uh, there was like um, LF Doom on Twitter. Lee and he he also said, "Oh, you've got to see this Papa T fella." He's, <laughs> he, he, and you, you know what? I was I couldn't believe it t- till I seen it. And I don't know. He's he, he sort of become our lovable mascot of this show. For for how I know, you've, I know you've just changed the GCP logo, but can you change it again to Big Papa T's head? <laughs> for what shit he did come out, uh, yeah, like producing the ring, it was just like this. Just his character, you couldn't take your eyes off because he's bizarrely hypnotic, isn't he? Yeah, he's awful. Yeah, like the, the character doesn't make the lovable executioner. Is not a character. 
He doesn't. Oh yeah, this man is murder has murdered people. Now look at him dance and slap hands with seven year olds in the front row. Fucking hell! If 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 that were on your street, you'd fucking expect burning effigies of the fucker. <laughs> um, obviously Stevie Knight. He's he was a highlight for many an episode. But mm. um, he stood. He st- him and him and um, Kerry Cabrero as a duo were excellent. Yeah, I don't know how much Cop Cabrero was on his own, but like as the one B to Stevie Knight's one A, I think he was he was all right. He got better once he had yeah. someone to play off and just like fuck around with. Yeah, um, Dan Belinka obviously as the mm. as the uh, as the host for about fourteen episodes of this till <laughs> live TV couldn't afford his fee. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought he I thought he was competent. Um, Trying to think of else, Doug Williams. Even though it's like a rough round the edges version of Doug, um, mm. he was he was decent at this time. Drew McDonald, as you mentioned, with the uh, your, your Scottish accent of his <laughs> fucking frat. You know when they say on Crime Watch back in the nineties, don't have nightmares. Fucking hell. Don't have nightmares. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. Sorry, Drew. I, uh, I mean, I mean this in the best possible way. I'm so glad he's dead because I don't want him to hear this and come and knock on my front door. <laughs> I mean, I'd be even more surprised now if he did knock on my front door. Because <laughs> he looked like Mel Mason. Um, try, try to think who else on this show. Oh, the fucking Scrapyard Challenge. Early doors. <laughs> Still some of the best TV I've seen all year. A man losing a fight in a scrapyard because he punched the caravan too hard and hurt his hand. Scraps, yeah. <laughs> Scra- yeah oh, Scrappy challenge. Oh, a pile driver on top of a Ford Escort. The the rotating commentators on this yeah. show. Fucking hell, how many? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me do uh, one, two, five. Six, uh, because Johnny Storm commentated on an episode we didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. So, out of all of them, Danny Royal was one of the better ones on the episode he did. Yeah. I think, you know what? To I think towards the end, Steve Morgan wasn't, he was, he, he was all right. Better, I think once he started to understand a bit more about the product and stop taking the piss out of it. He, he, I think he was more annoying when he was with um, what Scottish we call boys. Ross. Yeah. Oh, seven commentators. Phil Powers did a match earlier on as oh, well. Fucking hell, I don't want to go back and listen to that. He, did the, he did the Blondie Barrett match where he says, uh, Blondie Barrett is um, a former person um, I used to wrestle a lot. <laughs> Just trying to think. Actually, men, I think... I think maybe the early episodes were the, like the best stuff, the Crystal Palace stuff by yeah, far. Yeah, I think so. Blackpool was turgid. Yeah, like, I, there was that was some awful, awful television. Yeah, and I think back, and it's just like we just got to put out these matches and get this done, lads. Yeah. So there was also flagged onto our radar a Phil Powers produced documentary. In quotes was, yeah. about the UWA. Did you watch it? I didn't because I didn't want to subject myself to another 10 minutes of Phil Powers. <laughs> I did watch it. Go on. Um, in reality, it was him talking over a load of photos for about 10, 20 minutes. I discovered today, though, that it has been removed from YouTube by the uploader. So I'm not saying we have influence, but it's entirely possible he knows about this series and took it down so we wouldn't see it and take the piss. Well, I did see it and fully intend to take the piss. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember all of it. Like, this is just like stuff I scribbled down today because I was going to yeah. watch it again and like pick out like bits and bobs. But like, he narrates it, but also talks about himself in the third person. And he will frequently say things like, it was a gathering of some of the best wrestlers in the UK at the time, like Stevie Knight, Doug Williams, Kerry Cabarero, uh, the Fly Phil Powers, and Flash Barker like casually lumping himself in with all these good wrestlers of the time. It is read with all the passion and skill of a six-year-old with a head injury reading out what I did on my holidays the first week back at school. <laughs> you cannot see this. You cannot see this, listeners, but Andy has buried his head in his arm <laughs> on his the arm of his sofa. 
Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, it's typical wrestler bullshit. Like, you can tell, you can kind of tell he believes a lot of the lies he was told. Yeah. It's like, it's no good. And it's like, there's no new information or anything like that. However, I also watched Stevie Knight's FWA Academy produced shoot interview from about 2005. It's about three hours long, and I'd recommend not necessarily watching it, but have it on in the background while you're doing stuff. And he talks very openly about a lot of things. Like he talks about his own steroid use. He talks about the back injury that originally made him have to retire. He talks a lot about his early days in the business and that kind of thing. Mm. Talks about some of the horrible ribs he's pulled on people. <laughs> um, but there's about 25 minutes on the UWA. And I don't remember. I, I think a lot of them are the stories that he told you when you met up with him. Yeah. And I don't remember if we ever related them on the show. But, like, he talks about Big Papa T's untrained mates. So, like, Wera was just Big Papa T's friend, had never had never had any wrestling yeah. training. Yeah. Um, he talks about Paul Sloan, Titus O'Neilling himself. Yeah, <laughs> so when, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah. Mentioned, he mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, so when they did the angle with um, uh, it's – who does the flatliner? Cabrero does the flatliner, and Powers reverses it into Hurricane Rana, and Paul Sloan is going to be the referee – for, for the night and powers match he's supposed to run down to the ring slide in and count to three and we were like it takes him quite a while doesn't it like you know poor bastard was down for about 10 seconds where well, it turns out he got to the bottom of the ramp tripped over slid straight underneath the ring <laughs> and then had to climb out and go and make his count uh he also talked about um the never-ending front face lock so where oh, yeah. bully boy briggs in a front front face lock um, not understanding the sign for a tap out or a submission and the ref missing it and legit having it on for 10 minutes. Uh, and he also talks about um, Mad Dog McPhee pissing everybody off. Uh, like apparently he had quite a big mouth, uh, prompting the live rounds in that Leon Murphy match that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we said that, we said with that, um, that possibly that went wrong somewhere. Oh, like. I I, no, it didn't even go wrong. Like Murphy was out to punch that man in the face yeah. the moment he came out through the curtain. Like he, there was not any fuck up in the match that led to it. Like that was pre-existing. And I am certain that once they got backstage, they carried on. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's highly entertaining. Just sort of like have it. It would be a good podcast actually. Just like have it on and listen to it. Like there's nothing visually worth watching in it, but yeah. It's it's really worth uh, worth listening to. Um, one person who we forgot to say of like mm-hmm. one of the big characters of this show was um, I think as Stevie Knight's called him, um, and a few people have called him to me like uh, Doghead, Iron Duke Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what can you say about him? He's a character. Yeah. He's a character. He just he, he seemed just like someone you'd know off your street, polishing his bike every weekend, <laughs> minding his own business. Hasn't been to a barber since 1986. No. Um, yeah. I mean, he's another one who was fucking dreadful, isn't he? <laughs> Like this is always this was pushed as like the best of British wrestling, and it's like half a dozen competent wrestlers and people who aren't ready for TV and people who are just bad. There are mm. so many dreadful wrestlers. So you remember after episode nine, I kind of added up like the number of new characters we'd seen. Yeah. Throughout the whole run, we see 42 wrestlers. 42 people have at least one wrestling match over this run and like i would call maybe eight of them competent wrestlers and then you've got people who are bubbling under like alex shane is not ready to be on tv yet and he's he's not good enough yet no. jody fleisch isn't really good enough yet johnny storm isn't really good enough yet like they're still quite young in their careers um or you remember that canadian tag team you loved the all-nighters oh fucking hell <laughs> that's early doors isn't it yeah they only yeah. had one match do you remember road warrior pork 
I do remember Old yeah. Warrior Park, yeah. Yeah, like none of these were any good either. Um, yeah. Yeah, people who just aren't ready. Flash Barker did all right, actually. I yeah, think Flash they could have made yeah. more out of Flash Barker. He only had two matches where he saw, and like he was he was good in both of them. And like Stevie Knight, he wrestled in a contemporary way. Mm. Like he was doing moves from 1999. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to put a good spin on this, but it's bad. Like it's it's bad television with half a dozen good matches and quite a lot of unintentional comedy. Uh enter at your own risk. <laughs> Well, um, some way we'll get about 20 hours of our life back. Um, but Yeah, we never have to watch this again. Although, we don't. Big Papa T is burned into my mind forever. <laughs> That's one takeaway from this show. Uh, Big Papa T, our hero. <laughs> so that's the end of um, UWA Wrestling Rampage. Kieran, I'm sure you've got um, better better um, shows to plug, haven't you? <laughs> Would you believe I've also watched some good wrestling this week? Unbelievable. I know. Uh, so, yeah, I am here as always representing the Must See Matches podcast, which I do with Mark Buckledy. Uh, The last episode, which came out yesterday, is Brian Danielson versus Akeshi Morishima from Ring of Honor Manhattan Mayhem 2. Yes, the one with the eye. Uh, Sarah Flam was our guest. That was a load of fun. And you've actually caught us... Uh, bookending our week with brian danielson matches because the next episode that comes out next sunday is brian danielson versus kenny omega from dynamite grand slam september 22nd 2021 which is the most up-to-date match that got uh enough nominations to appear on the podcast yeah. uh, and i guess there will be the returning palm sing man uh go to linktr.ee slash must see matches for all the way subscribe and all that whatnot uh, we are at Massey Matches on Twitter X, Instagram, Mastodon, and Threads. All of those are dreadful platforms, but we need to be somewhere. And I am at Kieran Edits on Twitter. Do not talk to me about UWA Wrestling Rampage. Thank you very much. You can follow me at Oggy Part Free on Twitter or X, as it's called now. Um, bag of shite. Um, it, it'll st- it's just like. It's still the MEN arena to me, not the AO arena. Um, <laughs> follow us as well at GCP Podcast One on Twitter. And most recent episode, um, Shite Volume Three, uh, with one of all Matty Edwards. Excellent, excellent show. Hilarious. Um, as we went through 10 of the worst stables of all time, plus um, <laughs> Matty getting clued up on uh, unions, South African history. I burst out laughing when you're like, Matty, we're going to do a quiz. Which of these are real trade unions? <laughs> Fabulous. Well, they had to tie in with the uh, the name of the stable. Yeah, yep, brilliant. Um, you can go and listen to that. There will be a shite volume for um, sometime in the, um, in the near future. Um, you're wondering, like, we finished this project, but I've actually got a nice little side project with someone else um, mm. going on. Um, so in a in about in a few weeks time, or maybe in the next month, I will be uh, joined by the one and only making a return, Mr. Chris Wilson, as we go through the TV show Five Star Wrestling. Oh no! I mean, yay! <laughs> This th- this is another one that's come from um, having a drink with me and Jeff on, a, <laughs> on an afternoon out when we were talking with uh, talking with Chris. So we're going to start off with the uh, the domination show, dominant wrestling, which was on um, Spike TV mm. uh, from Dundee of all places, and then and then and then we'll go into the um, the shows that were on Free Sports. It's a, it's a very short series, thankfully. Yeah, it didn't, didn't uh, last very long, did it? It didn't, about um, six episodes. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's his transatlantic wrestling challenge. It is, yeah. So you've got that to uh, look forward to. <laughs> just, just check on um, Twitter when I, when I do put out, um, I do put them episodes out. But as ever, Kieran, it's been a pleasure. It has been more fun to talk about than it has been to watch. Thank you very much.
It has. Um, thanks for everyone who's uh, listened and contributed and um, tweeted out about this show over the time. Um, cheers, cheers for meeting uh, Stevie Knight while, while, while we did this as well. Um, yeah, and on Game Giants a blinker on on Twitter. That's it's been been very good. I did I didn't I didn't have the balls to um, send a Facebook message to Papa T <laughs> or ring his phone number that was in that article we found. I should have done, yeah. Hello, Mr. Mr. T. I'll tell you what, we we say we're done with UWA Wrestling Rampage, but if episode 18 ever comes to light, we'll do it. We have to do it. For completeness. We do, we do, mate. So cheers, Kieran. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been GCP. Thank you. And never forget UWA Wrestling Rampage. Good night.